Well, hello, and welcome to this week's of Photographic Life. Anybody who listened to last week's um, podcast not only had um, the joy of listening to Roger Stephan's voice, but also um, you may have heard me say that um, I thought it was about time we reached out to Marshall McLuhan to sponsor an episode. I did, and he has. It's this one. A point of view can be a dangerous luxury when substituted for insight and understanding. Marshall McLuhan said that. This week, um, we had some carpets fitted into the house. Um, Quite often happens, I suppose, when you own a house at various times, you get different kind of trades and so forth coming in. And uh, what quite often happens is that uh, people ask me, what do I do? You know, what's, what's your career? I suppose they see fo- various kind of photographs on the walls and, and books around the house and things. And um, I, always, I'm, I always get a bit kind of thrown by it, really, because I kind of tend to do quite a few different things. So I always say, I earn my living from photography. So I said that to the guy this week who was fitting the carpets, and he said, well... You know, we've all got a camera in our pocket now, haven't we? We're all photographers. And I thought, yeah, you know what? We are, aren't we? And, you know, that's the democratic nature of photography and where we are now. And this guy, um, and he, to him, it was completely clear that, well, of course he has a camera in his pocket. Of course, what I'm referring to there is his smartphone. That's That was his kind of understanding of it. And that was a really, I suppose, for him, perfectly acceptable understanding of what photography is. Over the last week also, there have been some really interesting things going on with photography, and I think they connect to what the carpet fitter was saying. Photography, to me, seems to be in quite a rude state of health. Over the last week or so, the Northern Eye Festival has been running in North Wales, uh, the Look Photo Festival in Liverpool, the HIP Festival in Hull, the BOP Bop Photobook Weekend in Bristol at the Daniel, um, excuse me, Daniel Martin Parr um, uh, Foundation, and uh, Daniel Meadows is exhibiting in Oxford, and there are talks all around the country, all around the UK and exhibitions, and I'm sure there are also across many other countries, wherever you, you are listening to this podcast in or from. What's interesting to me about that, and particularly if I take um, the HIP festival happening in Hull, up on the, uh, I suppose, northeast, east coast of England, and the um, Northern Eye Festival occurring over in the northwest of England, what, North Wales, I shouldn't say England, I, I apologise, in the north, uh, north Wales, is that both of those festivals have looked for different places in which to exhibit work. So not only are they looking for the gallery space, whether that being painted white, or as I'm increasingly seeing nowadays, a dark grey, or um, so it's, it's happening in that, those kind of gallery spaces that we expect. But they're also putting it into shops that have closed down. Or I noticed up at um, in North Ways in uh, Colwyn Bay, it was in an old auction house, an auction house that uh, sells things every week and has auctions. And they decided to put a photography um, exhibition in that space. And for me, this all ties in with the carpet fitter, this democratic idea of bringing photography to the people, um, to people who perhaps ordinarily wouldn't go to a museum or to a gallery or make a special effort to go and see a photographic exhibition. And all of this, to me, is is just great. What I do recognise about a lot of these events 
is how many of them are put on by independent people who just kind of feel as if they they need to do this thing um i'm sure there is some funding in there somewhere and you know it's really important i suppose for a lot of these events to get some kind of sponsorship but they're putting on events as much as possible for free last week we had next door's dog joining us i don't know if you can hear but a rainstorm seems to be passing over the shed this week it does seem as if i can't get for a podcast at the moment without somebody or something wanting to join in but anyway this idea of the democratic nature of photography and it's something which i've spoken about and i've mentioned my my new book um which has kind of like a subtitle of the democratic language of photography and quite often when i've used this word uh, democratic uh, i've been attacked by people quite often people from an perhaps shall we say a theory or academic base uh, and trying to make this photography seem as if or photography seem as if it's different if it comes from a different place um, of creation i suppose of thought process i don't know about all that stuff and i've spoken previously about this idea of siloing and the academic siloing or the intellectual siloing of photography or perhaps even from a professional practice um, trying to make photography seem as complicated as possible from a technical perspective for me it's all about the carpet fitter it's all about the fact that he enjoyed looking at the photographs on the walls of our house and i was able also to show him some books of photography that he also really enjoyed he also did a great job fitting the carpets so that was a win-win situation there can be no doubt that we're living in at least interesting political times i think that could perhaps be one of the great understatements but anyway and it kind of takes me back to that idea i suppose of photography as historical document there are so many ish, uh, so many photographs i should say of issues and of events which really shaped my personal history as i was growing up and i recognize those pictures and i now see those pictures in galleries in exhibitions in books um and they're important they're they're that capturing that moment and i hate that phrase of capturing that moment but certainly when you come to news photography that is what it it can do and in the last week there was one particular image that is already being discussed as being a photograph that in future generations um historians will look back on it it's a picture of nancy pelosi um standing up and pointing at donald trump around a, a big table with a lot of democrats on one side and republicans on the other you may have seen it but it, it just made me think again with, with that this photograph was already being held up as having historical importance and i suppose really that's kind of where we are at the moment that we're, we're in such a fast moving um news stories 24-hour a day news channels cable news channels the moving image rather than the still image but we still are drawn back to that idea of the still image uh, capsulating a moment perhaps capsulating a moment not just that moment that minute that second but actually a moment historically which has political social and economic um importance for future generations it's a big subject and it's a subject a lot of people uh, talk about and have studied and written about in much more depth than i'm doing here but it did just really kind of um 
take me back, I suppose. And so often that is the case, isn't it, with photographs, that that one still image can take you back. Funnily enough, over the, over the last week, I've been asked to um, cast my mind back 21 years to um, give some reports to support somebody in a, a situation. And I've been asked to recall those situations from 21 years ago. And um, it's amazing how clearly I can see what happened. I can really visualise what happened. And that's helped me in actually recalling the events that I've, I've had to inform somebody about. But anyway, slightly cryptic there, but don't worry, I'm not about to be locked up. But anyway, photography um, being a historical document is something that I think we should kind of be aware of at the moment because there is no doubt that when the historians come to uh, write the history um, with the benefit of hindsight in the coming decades, they're not going to be looking at the moving image necessarily. They're going to be looking for that one image that captured the moment. This week's contributor to What Does Photography Mean to Me is uh, Chris Harrison, a UK-based photographer. And as you're about to hear, strangely enough, I don't know how this happens, it kind of fits into the discussions we've been having so far. But anyway, let me tell you about Chris. So Chris is a photographer from the northeast of England. Before graduating with an MA in photography from the Royal College of Art, he worked as an apprentice at his local shipyard when he was just 15 years old. It was later, while serving as a sniper in the British Army, that he took up photography. Harrison was awarded the 16th Bradford Fellowship in Photography at the National Media Museum in England, uh, for which he produced the work Copper Horses. His first monograph, I Belong Jarrow, was published by Schilt and is part of the North of England Photography Collection, held by the Northern Gallery of Contemporary Art. His work has been shown widely, including at the Isle Photo Festival, the Barbican in London, Tate Britain, the German Historical Museum and the Imperial War Museum. While his photographs are included in the collections of the V&A Museum, the Imperial War Museum, the National Media Museum, the Bibliothèque Nationale uh, de France and the Irish Gallery of Photography and the British Council. Photography first meant something to me when I discovered my family's albums. They were precious things and us kids weren't allowed to touch them. They took on a sacred quality. To sneak into the front room to take a peek was to be Indiana Jones for a moment. Inside were strange objects, images of events where I was present but had no recollection of. I was fascinated by the alchemy that made this possible. Fast forward a few years and I'm 14 and in the army cadets ready for my first battle camp. I somehow instinctively knew I had to record it. I begged my mum to let me take the family camera with me and with a whole week's paper on wages bought a roll of film. I was off to Waterburn carrying my grandad's army have a sack and 24 exposures and a Boots 110 camera. After a week of marching all over Waterburn I'd taken all 24 shots, which at the time felt excessive but somehow right. Then we came home. Summer ended and stories that were told in the schoolyard grew into legends and eventually faded into myth, such that it seemed like the whole week had happened to someone else. About ten weeks later, my mum shouted up the stairs, Postman's been, an envelope in my hands all the way from Devon, 24 photographs, semi-gloss, rounded corners, 5 by 3 inches. But they weren't just photographs. 
Though I didn't realise it at the time, they are what photography means to me. These solid, dimensional, but also vulnerable objects were also a sliver of time and a distant memory made fact. Looking at the photos was a visceral experience, but when I came to the photo of Gibba, it was like time had stood still. There I was standing by the side of the road on a hot day in August, looking at Brian Gibson. Gibber, the hardest man in the squadron, twice the size of the rest of us and a year older. He was both feared and admired, and there he stands, cigarette in his mouth, hands on his hips, staring back at me with hard eyes and a half smile on his lips. It was Gibber and not just a posograph, but a portrait. Not a record, but an interpretation. I had fulfilled for the first time that sacred contract between photographer and subject. This was Brian as I knew him, and I knew then that I wanted to capture that feeling again. My career-long effort has been to recapture that feeling and be protective of the community whose stories I tell. When I took those pictures, I didn't want to be a photographer. I didn't know I could be. But eventually, with the help and encouragement of some amazing teachers, I ended up with Trent Polly. It was there I discovered the power of photography to shape the narrative, and I realised we have to take back control of our own stories. So I've spent my career using memory, personal history and the language of photography to explore ideas of home, history and community. With my current work, I can still hear the sea, I reflect on the fact that until I was eight, I thought my dad was an explorer. For 50 years he operated a machine in the local factory. I've stripped the machine down to try and find the man I knew when I was eight. In doing this, I've tried to use what I know to be true about photography in such a way that I can construct a tale, a fable, one told from both personal experience and the recollections of others. I've used my own formative memories and stories told by my dad to construct still life images. In these images, I've used actual objects from home and parts of the machine. I've also wandered around my hometown and photographed places, things and people I encounter. This wandering, following memories rather than roads, is a way of reconnecting with the past. The whole thing is tied together with short texts that are written in the vernacular, both grammatically and syntactically, of my hometown. That is, short, humorous, and oftentimes with an underlying tension that is not resolved. Because of this combination of texts and images, the viewer has taken on a journey to a place that exists only in my memory. In thinking about all of this and the role of photography has played in my life, it has always gone hand in hand with a love of history. As part of that, I have an ongoing body of work called Sites of Memory. Since the 1990s, I have been photographing World War I memorials in cities, towns and villages in Britain and Germany. As part of that work, I came across an article on the history of August Sander's photograph, Three Young Farmers. August Sander took this photograph in the spring of 1914, and I always felt when looking at it that Sander caught that last moment of innocence. I often wondered what happened to the three men. It turns out that Sander knew one of the men. They were not farmers, but miners, working in the local iron mine, and they lived in the rural village of Dunabush, population 150. But the truth of the image is still that of three young men walking to a dance just a few months before the start of the First World War. The man on the left, Otto Krieger, like Gibber, is standing with a cigarette in his mouth. He was conscripted into the 7th Infantry Regiment, alongside his best friend August Klein, who was the man in the middle. August was killed in 1915 in France, one of only two men from the village who was killed. Otto survived the war, but was injured several times. August's brother Ewald is on the right. He joined a different regiment, was wounded, 
and ultimately survived the war. I mention this image because it's one of my favourite photographs and also because I think this image perfectly captures what photography means to me. Photography at its best is about time, not late. I feel it's important at this point perhaps to uh, confirm or reconfirm that I never tell anybody what to say and I don't give anybody any brief other than just to answer the question. But last week we were talking about August Sander and this week Chris is talking about August Sander. We're continually talking about narrative and Chris is talking about narrative. Last week, uh, Roger Stephens spoke about the importance of history and this week Chris talks about history. I think there are some things coming together here. I think we're starting to answer the question as what does photography mean, not just to someone individually, but perhaps generally as a whole. I don't know, but some really interesting things there. And I, I was really touching for me, actually, because Chris really took me personally back there with his attention to detail when he was talking about those those uh, childhood photographs, even the fact that they, he remembered that they'd come from Devon um, and that kind of remembrance of those people that you went to school with and the importance that those people have to you as you continue through life. The family album. I was talking about a carpet fitter at the beginning. Maybe it also links back to that. I don't know. This is all sounding too neat. It's all sounding as if it's starting to come together and everything's sounding as if it's meant to be. That isn't the idea of this podcast. <laughs> but there you go. Maybe sometimes it just happens. The fact that you've probably been hearing this rainstorm go all the way through the podcast or at different points provides a little bit of chaos. And I always do like um, a little bit of chaos. Uh, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, Marshall McLuhan is our sponsor and Marshall McLuhan has provided us with some wisdom. So why don't we finish with him? We shape our tools and afterwards our tools shape us. That's Marshall McLuhan. Take care. <laughs>